BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Hyatt Ziva Riviera Cancun at CheapCaribbean.com. That's CheapCaribbean.com. Guess what, Will? What's that, Mango? So this week I started looking up Harry Potter knockoffs and they are so terrible. I love them so much. <laughs> All right. So what'd you find? <laughs> so there's this one book in Spanish called Harry Perez, uh, and he's got his friends Ron and Hermania, and uh, <laughs> they take on this evil character named Condomort. Right. I love how they change Makes everyone's sense. name except Ron's. Right. Like there's no alternative <laughs> name for Ron. <laughs> there's also one from Russia where he's kind of more of a rock star and he rides a double base instead of a broom. Uh, but my favorite one is from China, where Harry has to chase down Voldemort's protege, Yandemort, Ooh. who apparently used to work for the circus under the name Naughty Bubble. And there's also... <laughs> I'm kind of into this. I'm going to have to check this out. <laughs> for some reason, there's also a character named Big Spinach in it, but uh, none of it makes any sense. And can you imagine like how bummed you'd be if you asked for a Harry Potter book from your parents and instead they brought you one of these knockoffs? No, Mango. I'm kind of into these. <laughs> but, you know, seeing all these crazy titles made me wonder, how does copy copyright work like why can you remix a Sherlock Holmes story but not use Felix the cat to advertise your work like why are people so excited about 2019's public domain day we're gonna get into all of this let's dig in Podcast listeners, welcome to Part Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Mangesh Hatikater. And on the other side of the soundproof glass, celebrating the demise of copyright by eating are those are those Charleston mm-hmm, chews? They are, <laughs> and dancing the Charleston. That's our friend and producer Tristan McNeil. All right, so just to explain a little bit. I have to point out that part of the reason Tristan is doing this is because he's blaring the Charleston song. It took me a minute to. Uh, figure this out. Pull it all together, you can yeah. probably hear this in the background. Now, the song itself was written to accompany the dance back when it debuted back in 1923, and it kicked off this national craze. 
But what's notable about this is that 2019 actually marks the end of the Charleston Songs copyright protection. I don't know if you knew this, if you've been following this, <laughs> but that is the case. So now anyone can make a new recording of the song or play a 1923 performance of it on a podcast, all without having to pay a dime or worry about getting sued. At least I hope that's the case. <laughs> Which is obviously great news for any listeners who are into the Charleston, or at least as into it as Tristan is, apparently. I guess so. <laughs> but you know, it turns out there's a lot of reasons to party like it's 1923 this month, even if you're not a Charleston fan. And that's because a slew of works from this year have just entered the public domain for the very first time. Now, believe it or not, this is actually the first mass influx of public domain material in the U.S. in 20 years, I think. Mm -hmm. So we'll get in exactly why this is and how it involves Mickey Mouse a little bit later. But the main takeaway is that thousands of classic books and movies and songs and other works of art, they are now free to use, remix, sell, all without any legal restriction around them. Which is why we're marking the occasion with an episode all about the ins and outs of copyright. So we'll talk a little bit about the history of copyright law, including why the terms have been extended in the U.S., and also what makes this year so different from others. Plus, we'll take a closer look at the public domain class of 2019 to see exactly what sort of hidden treasures just fell into our laps. But, you know, Will, where do you want to start off here? All right, well, I thought we should give our listeners a, a little bit of context to all of this. So for starters, January 1st is recognized all around the world as Public Domain Day. And I actually didn't know that until we were doing our <laughs> research for this episode. But the way that it works is that at the stroke of midnight on New Year's Eve, older works automatically enter the public domain as they age out of their copyright terms. But this is where things get a little bit tricky. So different countries have their own rules for how long a work can remain under copyright. So most countries will provide copyright protection for the life of their author, plus a certain set number of years beyond that, like the author's life plus 50 or 70 or whatever it may be. But in the U.S., things have traditionally worked a little bit differently. So here, copyrights made prior to 1978 have nothing to do with the lifespan of the work's author. Instead, these copyright materials are protected for a flat 95 years after their first publication. It always makes you wonder, like, where they come up with the number, mm -hmm. like, why 95? But So just as an example, The Grapes of Wrath won't enter the U.S. public domain until January of 2035, because that will be 95 years after it was first published. Now, on the other hand, readers in places like Canada and New Zealand can read and rework the text for free starting this year. And that's because 2019 is 50 years after the death of the book's author, John Steinbeck. Isn't that weird? Like, something about that, like, feels so off to me. Yeah. I mean, it's this, like, quintessential American novel, and people in other countries actually get to do whatever they want with it's it first. Fair. I know three decades <laughs> before Americans get to it. It's super weird. Yeah. But it actually reminds me, I, I was reading about the rights to the song, This Land is Your Land, mm -hmm. which, of course, you know, Woody Guthrie wrote the lyrics to. And that's a piece of music that just feels inseparable from the American identity. And it's kind of become this great... American, almost like an anthem ever since it was published back in 1945. But again, for Canada and other countries with copyright terms of life plus 50 years, that song entered the public domain last year. Whereas in the US, you'll actually have to wait till 2041 to be able to use it. 2041. And that's when you're planning to put out a dubstep remix? <laughs> that's <Okay>. right. <laughs> Absolutely. But before we move on, I, I do want to mention that This Land is Your Land is kind of a funny case to look at. So the lyrics claim that the land belongs to you and me, and that was actually Guthrie's intention for the song, too. In 1945, he published the song with a copyright notice that read, 
quote, this song is copyrighted in the U.S. for a period of 28 years, and anybody caught singing it without our permission will be mighty good friends of ours because we don't give a darn. <laughs> Publish it, write it, sing it, swing to it, yodel it. We wrote it. That's all we wanted to do. That's hilarious. Isn't that I'm, I'm curious, though, like, why didn't the song enter the public domain in the 70s, you know, like what he wanted it to? Well, uh, apparently the publisher renewed the copyright at some point without Guthrie's input. So the song's copyright status wound up being extended, and now it's covered by the current 95-year term we have in the U.S. Okay. All right. Well, in that case, I mean, now seems like a good time to break down the key changes to the copyright law that have taken place here in the U.S. over, you know, over several decades. Mm -hmm. But don't worry about your eyes glazing over because I'm going to try to keep this short and sweet. Good. So basically, American copyright law began with the Constitution, which grants Congress the power to bestow exclusive rights to the author of a work for, quote, limited times. So at first, that limited time meant 14 years, with the option to renew for another 14 years, making the max possible 28 years. Now, those rules were amended over time, though, and by 1909, both copyright terms had doubled to 28 years or 56 total, I guess. Got it. So that's where Woody would have gotten that uh, 28 year term he claimed, you know, for the the copyright he was talking about. But, you know, I'm sure he never intended to renew the song for that second 28 year period. That's right. So then you fast forward to 1976 and the extension started getting kind of out of hand. So the 56 year period was bumped up to a full 75 years, meaning that any work produced through 1922 would be copyright protected until 1998. Then in 1998, just as the 1923 copyrights were about to expire for the next year, a new piece of legislation was passed. It makes you wonder why people were so interested in changing the legislation. But the new law tacked on another 20 years for the copyright of any work made between 1923 and 1977. And that's actually why there's this big 20-year gap that we're just coming out of right now. That is exactly right. So those extra two decades added in, you know, 1998 was when this happened. It basically put a freeze on the public domain additions. So the works that were scheduled to enter the public domain were suddenly off the table for another 20 years. And so that's what made New Year's of 2019 such a big deal. I mean, the drought is finally over. (laughs) And I'm guessing that's for the foreseeable future too, right? Like like a whole year's worth of work should enter the public domain every year now ongoing. Right, right. And this really just the beginning of like four decades worth of annual time capsules, you know. So, you know, long as corporations don't succeed in extending the copyright terms even further. Although if we're being fair, it's not like the last 20 years haven't brought any new additions to the public domain from this era because plenty of works from the 1920s through the 1970s have already entered the public domain because their copyrights were never renewed for one reason or another. And in fact, one study from 2011 suggested that as many as 90% of works published in the 1920s were never renewed at all. And the same is true for roughly 60% of the works from the 1940s. So there were a ton of them that were out there. So basically that extension in 1998 only apply to the works whose copyrights were still active at that time. And so anything that hadn't been previously renewed was already fair game for public use. Of course, the tricky part has been determining whether an old copyright has lapsed or not. Yeah, I'm guessing that's a pretty murky business trying to figure all that out. It is. And, you know, so in the past, it's been safer to err on the side of caution and just kind of steer clear of any work whose status was in question, of course, to avoid getting sued. But now those concerns are out the window, at least as far as works from 1923 go. And now that they've passed the 95-year mark, we know for certain that they're in the public domain. 
So I, I know there are probably some folks listening who are thinking, okay, but who cares about all this old-timey stuff anyway? You know, it's not like I'm going to start listening to chart toppers from the 1920s or whatever. But, you know, that's totally fair. But here's the thing that Gabe was pointing out to me. Most of us honestly don't know what we've been missing out on. Mm -hmm. Like, the public domain provides this great chance for overlooked works to find a second lease on life. And if you look at what happened to It's a Wonderful Life, you know, that movie actually flopped when it was first released. But once it entered the public domain, it slowly became a holiday classic. And that success only happened because TV networks were actually able to play the movie for free year after year. Right. So in this weird way, it's like cultural worth is actually greater today than it would have been had it remained under copyright. You know, there's this author, Glenn Fleischman, and he had this great quote in this article for The Atlantic. And, and he says, quote, only so much that's created has room to persist in memory, culture, and scholarship. Some works may have been forgotten because they were simply terrible or perishable. But it's also the case that a lack of access to these works in digital forms limits whether they get considered at all. Mm. I mean, it's a good point. And it actually reminds me of something I came across this week from the American novelist Willa Cather. And, you know, she once called 1922 the year the world broke in two. And that was because of all the big literary and cultural shakeups that took place that year. It was the start of the Harlem Renaissance, plus the publication of works like Ulysses by James Joyce and The Wasteland by T.S. Eliot. So to her, 1922 was this turning point. Like there was a world before that year, and then there was a world after it. Huh. And strangely enough, that's also how things broke down in terms of U.S. copyright law. So everything up through 1922 is now part of the public domain but it's a different story for works from 1923 and beyond. So hundreds of thousands of songs and movies and books and newspapers, magazines, like so many different things of that era had been held back for decades longer than they should have been. And so as a result, you figure there have to be a lot of blind spots in our understanding of that period in American history. Yeah, like even things we know about, like the Harlem Renaissance or the Great Depression or World War II, like we should get like a fuller picture once we get access to these materials. And also, it'll be so fun to see them show up in memes and music and things. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm excited to hear what you think should make the cut this year. But before we share our favorites, let's take a quick break. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. 
With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Hyatt Ziva Riviera Cancun at CheapCaribbean.com. That's CheapCaribbean.com. You're listening to Part-Time Genius, and we're talking about the giant wave of classic art that just entered the public domain this month. All right, Megan, so I'm curious, which works are you most excited to have free of their copyrights this year? Okay, so I'm just going to go ahead and get the literature picks out of the way first because that's where you find a lot of the heavy hitters. And honestly, it's too many to go through. So for fiction, we've got stories from authors like Virginia Woolf, Aldous Huxley, Jane Austen, Hemingway. And and then in terms of poetry, there's work from E.E. Cummings, uh, William Carlos Williams, Wallace Stevens, Pablo Neruda, Robert Frost, including one of his most famous poems, uh, Stopping by Woods on a Snowing Evening, like... Which is just cool that these texts are out there and easier to explore and play with than before. But but what about you? Like, are are there any books you're happy to see in the public domain? That was amazing to hear, like, all those heavy hitters this year. But I always like it when famous literary characters make their way into the public domain because you get a whole bunch of new takes on them. Like, that's what happened with Robin Hood or Sherlock Holmes. You know, I I didn't think of that. So, So what new characters are we getting to play with now? All right, well, 2019 is giving us access to new Tarzan stories from Edgar Rice Burroughs, but also two of Agatha Christie's mystery novels starring Belgian detective Hercule Poirot, The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, and The Murder on the Lynx. Wait, wasn't Tarzan already in the public domain, though? Yeah, that's right. There's a story from 1910 that's been in the public domain, and actually there's one earlier Poirot novel that's already there, too. So how do the laws work with characters like that? I mean, can people just write their own new Tarzan stories, or or can they only publish and rework the existing books? Like, is the copyright on the character or, or just the stories he appears in? Well, you can't actually copyright a name or a phrase or anything like that. But what you can do is get your character trademarked while it's still under copyright. So if you take the case of Tarzan, that's what the author's heirs did. So even though the original Tarzan stories can be freely published and adapted for movies or comics or whatever else, you still can't publish your own original Tarzan books without receiving permission. And of course, to do that, you'd have to pay a fee to the borough's estate. And so things are a little more dicey when it comes to Poirot. And why is that? Well, not all copyrighted characters qualify for trademark protection. And and some people, you know, maintain that Poirot does not qualify. So for reasons that they're, they're a little too complicated to get into here, but until someone is willing to gamble, you know, a potential lawsuit to publish their own unauthorized story, the character's legal status is kind of in limbo. <laughs> so the new public domain additions for those characters are mostly exciting because it means there are new Tarzan stories or Poro mysteries that can be safely adapted or altered by anyone, even if the characters themselves are still otherwise off limits. So I'm a little worried about what that might mean for my next pick here, because even though 2019 frees up the rights to a bunch of classic silent films from people like uh, Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin, Laurel and Hardy... Which is awesome, by the way, because like it'd be so amazing to start seeing these movies on late night TV. Mm-hmm. But you know, the one I was most personally excited about was the Felix the Cat cartoons, which just hit the public domain. 
And I was kind of hoping we could add it to the PTG logo or just make him like the official show mascot or something. But I'm guessing that's not the case if he's still trademarked, right? You know, Felix was the one that stood out to me too. So I actually did a little bit of digging on this. And it turns out that even though the character is still technically trademarked by DreamWorks, they only control his use in certain instances. And, and you know, of course, that's really around advertising. So how, how does that work exactly? So you could actually publish your own Felix the Cat comic strips and even adapt those new stories into animated shorts. But weirdly, you just can't include Felix himself in any of the advertising for that stuff. <laughs> Apparently, DreamWorks also owns the Felix trademark for, quote, life-saving instruments. So I guess a line of Felix-branded fire extinguishers is totally off the table. <laughs> I feel like that's exactly where I was going with this, like yeah, Felix EpiPens and smoke yeah. detectors. But, uh, you know, if cartoons aren't your thing, we've also got plenty of new public domain songs to keep us busy. And, and there's some real chestnuts here. Uh, tunes like Dizzy Fingers, Horsey Keep Your Tail Up. I know that's a favorite in the, the Pearson household. Yeah, right? definitely. <laughs> and that timeless romantic ballad, Oh Gee, Oh Gosh, Oh Golly, I'm in Love. I think these are probably <laughs> in that collection of that old uh, Amberola. Like oh, yeah. Yeah. At the house. That's uh, all those wax cylinders. That's pretty cool to listen to. But, you know, it truly was a different time. I was actually listening to a few songs from our list this week, and I was struck by how many of them were just kind of wide-eyed, upbeat nonsense. Like, <laughs> there was this one that was basically about how strange it is that the earth rotates and that it can be daytime in one part of the world and nighttime in another. It was a riveting song. But, and I guess for fun, they just threw in a bunch of gibberish that doesn't rhyme or fit the meter or anything. So there's this one line that goes, when it's nighttime in Italy, it's Wednesday over here. When it's fish day in Germany, you can't get shaved in Massachusetts. So, and the whole thing is just so bizarre, and I'm really hoping this catches on again. That is amazing. And in the same vein of that old-timey nonsense songs, I, I'm pretty pumped that the copyright finally expired on Yes, We Have No Bananas Today, which is actually one of the songs I know. I would definitely leave it to you to zero in on the banana song and the bunch <laughs> of these. But Weirdly, it turns out there's actually a sequel song called, the, um, it's called I've Got the Yes, We Have No Banana Blues. And uh, since it was uh, released the same year as the original, it's now in the public domain as well. So why did they do a follow-up song? Was it just that popular? It's basically a response to how popular the first song was and how sick everyone was of hearing it all the time. Mm -hmm. And so one of the lines says, quote, It hasn't got a bit of sense, and I go wild when they commence. Bananas, bananas, I wish I could break up a million pianos. I get it. Some good lyrics. I mean, I kind of love that this song is going to start annoying everyone all over again once it's back out there. And I was, I guess that's kind of the scenario that these annual copyright expirations allow for. So it's nice to have them back in the mix. Yeah, I guess that's true. But, you know, we, we can probably make a more compelling case for them than that, I'm guessing. I, I mean, the public domain is good for lots of stuff beyond just annoying your friends with weird old songs. No, no question. It's just fun to read all those lyrics and everything. But all right, well, now that we've checked out some of the most notable inductees for this year, I do think we should take a closer look at the benefits that come from having the growing catalog of public domain works. Yeah, it sounds great. But before we get into that, let's take another quick break. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to reu hotels and resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. All right, Mango. So we spent a lot of time today singing the praises of the public domain and kind of lamenting all the extensions that certain copyrights have been granted over the years. And honestly, at this point, I'm a little bit worried that people might get the impression that we are anti-copyright. Well, I, I mean, I, I do think we could survive that sort of scandal, but let's go ahead and make the case for copyrights anyway, just to be safe. It's actually something worth doing because even though copyrights can feel annoying or restrictive, the core idea makes a lot of sense granting creators the right to control how their work is used. Mm -hmm. And in its purest form, copyright protections benefit not just creators, but society as a whole. So the idea is, like, that's how copyrights were framed in the U.S. Constitution. It was kind of this way to promote the progress of science and useful arts. And again, in the first copyright law of 1790, it was thought of as a way to further the encouragement of learning. I mean, it's interesting because you'd almost guess that we're talking about the public domain again and, and not copyrights. I mean, how does restricting access to a work encourage learning or promote science and art? So the idea is that it isn't like a short-term fix. It's one for the long run. So the basic idea is that copyright protection offers an incentive for people to create new works. I mean, why go to the trouble of writing a book or making a movie if anyone can just copy it right after it's made public, right? right. So one way I've seen it described is that copyright is basically a contract between creators and society. They continue making new stuff, and in return, we promise not to rip it off or muck with it for about 28 years or however long, at which point the work belongs to everyone. I mean, I, I get that the premise is sound, but it does, it feels like these copyright terms have kind of ballooned so much that we, we've kind of lost sight of their original purpose. Yeah, I mean, the trouble is that there's always someone arguing that the length of the copyright is too short to make a profit. And back in the days of 14 and 28-year terms, content creators may have had a point, but... You know, now that we're up to 95 years or a lifetime plus 70 years, mm -hmm. the terms, they really start to seem excessive. So the contract we started with has gotten a lot more one-sided over the last century. 
which is, of course, an intentional move on the part of copyright holders or, or more specifically the part of companies that hold those copyrights. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the ones making money on the 95-year copyrights or Lifetime Plus copyrights aren't the authors or really even their families in most cases. Instead, it's the companies that control the rights once the creator is gone. Like the Woody Guthrie example you gave earlier, his descendants aren't cashing in from licensing deals. It's the publisher that is. Sure. I mean, that, that's a great point. And, and corporations definitely played a huge role in the 20th century extensions to copyright terms. I mean, the most famous example is probably the 1998 extension we mentioned earlier, the, the one that raised the term for older U.S. copyrights from 75 to 95 years. And the law was called the Sonny Bono uh, Copyright Term Extension Act. And the Disney Corporation was actually its biggest and most vocal champion. And that's because they wanted to keep the first Mickey Mouse cartoon ever released, which is Steamboat Willie, mm -hmm. from entering the public domain in 2003. So what did Sonny Bono have to do with this? Like, shouldn't it have been called the Mickey Mouse Act? Yeah, I mean, that might have been more accurate. And actually, Disney lobbied so hard for the legislation that some people actually do refer to it as the Mickey Mouse Protection Act. Mm -hmm. But in reality, the 98 bill was named as a way to honor Sonny Bono, who had passed away in January of that year. And if that sounds kind of random, it, it isn't just that he was an entertainer, it's also that he was a congressman in California. And during his tenure, Bono had actually pushed hard for better copyright protection. So the gesture kind of made a lot of sense if you, you know, knew all that. Yeah, but you, I mean, you know what still strikes me about this whole thing is how ironic it is that a company built on adaptations of public domain fairy tales, they're the ones that wound up fighting to keep all those adaptations under wraps. Yeah, and the ironies don't end there either because Disney's Steamboat Willie cartoon was itself a parody of Buster Keaton's short called uh, Steamboat Bill Jr. Mm -hmm. It actually premiered the same year. So, Steamboat Bill Jr. Yeah. <laughs> and so while the Keaton short entered the public domain years ago, the cartoon it inspired is still under lock and key. It's kind of bizarre. But, you know, just like with Felix the Cat, Mickey Mouse is trademarked. So when the copyright on his debut cartoon expires... The short itself can be bought or sold or given away or remixed by anyone, but the Mickey character will still belong to the Disney company for as long as it continues to, you know, use his likeness and con continuity. And so one of the things you hope doesn't happen is that someone makes an adult version of Steamboat Willie. It's <laughs> actually one of the main arguments you hear from staunch copyright defenders. Like, the idea is that when works slip into the public domain, they will be abused or tarnished in some way. <laughs> So, for instance, a book could be published with errors or a film could be released in low quality. Yeah, or someone could replace every other line in your poem with Beyonce lyrics. Which might be an improvement, <laughs> depending on how bad the poetry is. But, I mean, you get the point. The worry is that a public domain work will be overexploited and that its cultural or artistic worth, you know, by because of that, it'll be diminished in the process. I mean, that sounds like a legit concern, doesn't it? But, but you know, like, I love the idea of Pride and Prejudice and zombies, you know, like... Jane Austen might not have wanted that when she wrote it, but, yeah. but it's a pretty great thing for all of us. And probably more people went back and actually read Pride and Prejudice when that came yeah, out. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but, and for the most part, I'm not sure the argument holds that much water. You know, because, for instance, there was a study back in 2012 where researchers took a bunch of different audiobooks, some in the public domain, some under copyright, and they had listeners provide feedback on the quality of each one. And, and just actually, I'll just read here what they found. So our data provided almost no support for the arguments made by proponents of copyright term extension that once works fall into the public domain, they will be produced in poor quality versions that will undermine their cultural or economic value. 
Our data indicate no statistically significant difference, for example, between the listener's judgments of the quality of the professional audiobook readers or copyrighted and public domain texts. So it sounds like we're saying even though there could be downsides to a work entering the public domain, those drawbacks tend to be heavily outweighed by the benefits of open access. I mean, teachers can make photocopies without breaking the law. Artists can pay tribute to and, and even build off the works that inspire them. And the rest of us can kick back and listen to Yes, We Have No Bananas on Loop completely free of charge. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was there with you until that last part. But I do agree the public domain is a win for society. And it's exciting to see how it, you know, it can grow substantially again after a 20-year hiatus. But before we go exploring into that treasure trove once again, I know we still have a bunch of weird copyright facts to share, so let's get into the fact off. All right, well, here's something I think is pretty cool. There's this little village in England called Wookie Hole. That's already cool. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and there are over 300 eggs painted with clown faces on them. And this collection is known as the Clown Egg Register. And while it started as a hobby where one individual was cataloging these clowns just for fun, the collection grew into a way for professional clowns to basically copyright the way they make up their faces, you know, to protect from imitators. That's crazy. And so the tradition actually continues today. If you register with the Clowns International, they will have your makeup painted on a ceramic egg. <laughs> that's crazy. There's one thing I learned this week that you can't copyright, and that's a chicken sandwich. Uh -huh. And I know this because a man named Norberto Colon Lorenzana tried to do this in the 1980s. Apparently, uh, Norberto added a simple chicken sandwich to the menu at Church's Chicken in Puerto Rico, and the company made millions off it. They even used the name he gave it, the Pechu Sandwich. But when he tried to sue for intellectual property theft, the judge sternly rebuked him, letting him know that while films, books, music, and architecture, and even some art are all protected, culinary inventions are kind of a gray area. Especially chicken sandwiches. <laughs> huh. All right, well, speaking of architecture, it is interesting to note that Hershey's has a trademark for the structural design of their chocolate bar. And apparently it took a ton of work to get that. Basically, they were trying to protect the fact that you can snap those little rectangles off to fit perfectly on a s'more. And if you think about it, like everyone can imagine yeah. those exact rectangles. But as Smithsonian notes, functionality is not a qualifying feature when registering a product design for trademark. So to win the case, they basically had to show that the ridges were more than just utility. The architectural design was something that people associated with Hershey bars even when the brand name was absent from the chocolate. And I would completely agree with yeah, that. Yeah, it's really interesting. Well, here's a funny one from Mental Floss. Uh, apparently, the 1963 Beach Boys hit Surf in USA is a complete knockoff of a Chuck Berry song called Sweet Little 16. <laughs> I had never heard of that. Never heard of that, But yeah. when Berry accused Brian Wilson of stealing the song... Without telling anyone, Wilson's dad, who also happened to be the band's manager, gave Barry the copyright to the tune. But he didn't tell anyone in the band, so the band actually only learned that they weren't getting royalties from the song 25 years after it was released. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, why are we not getting any money on this? Song we right. stole. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of wild, did you know that animals can't own copyrights, Mango? I don't even know how that could be an issue. <laughs> well, in 2011, this photographer named David Slater went to Indonesia. And he had this brilliant idea. Like, what if he set up a tripod and tried to get the monkeys to take selfies of themselves? Sure. And somehow this one female macaque named Naruto went crazy. 
And of course, the photos went viral. Wikipedia put them up claiming no one could own the copyright, and David Slater assumed that he owned the rights. It was his camera and idea after all, but PETA, in their ethical treatment of all animals, decided to sue on the monkey's behalf, claiming that this female should get the royalties on the photos. So far, the U.S. Copyright Office has taken a firm line that, quote, the office will not register works produced by nature, animals, or plants. And it's put the photos in the public domain, but PETA is still fighting for its social media star client. That's pretty crazy. I mean, I, I think monkeys are a great way to end the show. Clown eggs, monkey selfies. I, I do think you deserve today's trophy. And to celebrate your victory, Tristan, will you please cue up? Yes, we have no more bananas. <laughs> that is it for today's show. I, I do want to give a special shout out to our listener, Samantha, who tipped us off on some Brady Bunch spinoffs from our last nine things that we did. Our, our favorite of which is the Brady Brides, where Marsha and Jen have a double wedding to their boyfriends and then have to live in the same house because they can't afford to move out. Unfortunately, <laughs> Actually, the hijinks only lasted six episodes, which sounds great and terrible. I have not heard of that one. Yeah, but thank you so much for that, Samantha. But that's it for today's show. If you want to send us facts, we're at parttimegenius at howstuffworks.com. And from Gabe, Tristan, Will, and me, thank you so much for listening. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, At these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Hyatt Ziva Riviera Cancun at CheapCaribbean.com. That's CheapCaribbean.com.